Hi, this is Mark Lynch of the George Washington University and the Project on Middle East Political Science. Welcome back to the POMAPS Conversation podcast, our series of chats with leading scholars in the field of Middle East and political science. With me today is Lindsay Benstead. She's an assistant professor uh, at the Hatfield School of Government at Portland State University. She's also affiliated with the Women's Rights in the Middle East program at Rice University and the Program on Governance and Local Development at Gothenburg University. Uh, Lindsay, thanks for coming to GW. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I know you've been doing a lot of research lately on gender and governance and uh, some really interesting and creative stuff with survey research. So just tell us, what are you working on these days? Well, I'm working on a, a couple of different sub-areas within the field of gender and governance. The first area of research is aimed at trying to explain why we observe gender gaps in access to political power. So worldwide, we note that um, in the Middle East and in other parts of the world, women are less likely than men to be elected to government. Um, and in some countries, um, including many of the MENA region countries, Women are also much less likely than men to vote in elections. Uh, they vote uh, or they decide on their vote later than men, uh, and they're less politically involved in other types of associations. So the first body of research is trying to understand when voters go to the polls, what are the factors that, that encourage them to vote for women and what are the factors that the biases and stereotypes that prevent them from wanting to vote for women. So why would like the just conventional stereotypical thinking about the Middle East that it's simply a patriarchal society and that's why women are are marginalized in politics, why is that not enough? Um, Ellen Lust and Amani Jamel and I ran a survey experiment in, in Tunisia which was aimed at trying to explain biases and stereotypes against both female as well as religious candidates. And there we found that, in fact, it wasn't the religious orientation of the voter that could explain these gaps. In fact, we found more religious individuals actually tended to be a little less biased against female candidates than more elite, secular voters. Um, so instead of kind of taking a cultural view and, and suggesting that women are not actually able to attain leadership in the Middle East because of Islam or because of religion, we uh, developed and tested a theory called role congruity theory. And very briefly, this is a theory that comes from business research. Um, and role congruity theory actually just... Um, explains biases against women by suggesting that because we have sex differentiation in the labor force and because w men and women have different roles, we take those roles and we stereotype people with particular traits, whether the, that be mm -hmm. nurturing um, or decisive. And there we, we suggest that biases at the polls are really s stemming from a mismatch between stereotypes, traits of women, which we see as inconsistent uh, with the types of traits we might be looking for in a strong leader. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you've also done a fair amount of research on, on clientelist politics and looking at parliaments as kind of providing services. Does that play into the gender roles and the role congruence that, that you found in the survey? I, I think it does. This is um, a second sort of sub-area of my research on this topic. And here... This research is trying to understand 
what difference it makes if we have greater gender equality mm -hmm. in politics. So here I looked at uh, the ability of female and male members of parliament to provide services and the extent to which men and women are able to equally attain, ask for, and receive services from parliamentarians. This was actually quite surprising to me. Um, a number of years ago, I surveyed about 200 Moroccan and Algerian parliamentarians. Mm -hmm. And by using those data, I found that actually, on average, only about just under 30% of requests that parliamentarians were giving to constituents were going to women. So there's actually a very large gender gap. Um, were there female parliamentarians, and did they were they better or worse at being good patrons? There were female parliamentarians, and one of the interesting takeaway points from that paper, which was published in Governance last year, was that actually it did help a little bit to elect women. So female parliamentarians were a little bit more likely than male par parliamentarians to know and, and serve females. But actually it was the implementation of a quota which seemed to create these what, what I call mandate effects, these, um, the sense in which female parliamentarians, because they had been elected through a quota, had a sense that they had a responsibility to serve women. And so it was actually not enough simply to elect women, but it, it was necessary to elect them through a quota just to get to a 50-50 hmm. um, balance in the provision of services. Let's go back to this, uh, the finding you started out with, this idea that, uh, that more conservative, more religious voters were more likely to be willing to vote for a woman than, than elite secular voters, because that does seem to go against what many people would intuitively expect, that, mm -hmm. you know, you'd ha that it would be the more educated, cosmopolitan mm -hmm. types of voters who would be more open to voting for women. Why do you think that is? Why do you think you found well, this? The, the interesting thing about this particular um, question is that, um, you know, we may have many um, sort of stereotypes about the, the Menoregion as being uh, particularly bad for women. But in fact, actually, gender gaps in access to political power um, are universal. Uh, and so that right away suggests to us that we need a different theory. We can't just rely simply on looking at culture or religion to explain these gaps. There's got to be something else that can explain why universal universally mm -hmm. we do see these differences. Um, and we did find strong support for role congruity theory, and we argue that it's a theory that can explain gender gaps in political participation and representation cross-nationally, and I think that's important. So what is the congruity that uh, these religious voters are seeing in the role of, of women that they might vote for? Mm -hmm. At the moment, we are trying, Ellen Lust and I are trying to unpack that question a little bit more. We're trying to understand um, what is it about these male and female or, or religious or non-religious candidates that is sort of driving their electability among different segments of the population. Is it that they're, they're signaling um, a particular type of policy that the voter likes? Are they perceived as being more or less corrupt? Mm -hmm. Are they perceived as being more or less able to provide services. Um, I think I wouldn't necessarily um, conclude that 
more religious Tunisians were um, maybe necessarily wishing to vote for women more than less conservative, but rather I would suggest that it's something about <clears throat> what the voter thinks he or she can get from mm -hmm. the, the candidate. Um, so you're back to clientelism then? Back to clientelism, yes. And I think when we think about legacy parties in, in Tunisia, um, the legacy of Tunisia was to have this elite. They mm -hmm. had an elite that was secular. Um, and it, it may actually be that members, uh, that secular voters um, who are more elite actually are seeking to vote based on wasta or based on connections. Mm -hmm. And they actually are stereotyping that male secular candidate as most able to provide them with those services. Now, you've been doing uh, survey research, not just in Tunisia, but kind of around at, around the entire region. Do you think that what you're seeing in the research you've just described is something which is just Tunisian? Or is it something which, you know, does, does this sort of thing vary across the different uh, sub-regions of the Middle East? Or is it something which is more universal? Mm -hmm. Well, certainly the size of the gender gap in, in terms of uh, just presenting uh, respondents with random, uh, randomly selected um, candidates, we do find that th actually the extent of the bias in Tunisia is very, very small, hmm. uh, but it's very large in Libya. Uh, Ellen Lust and I are working on a comparative paper which is um, examining this in Tunisia, Libya, Egypt, and Jordan. And there we find that there is a great deal of variation in the extent to which those biases are operating at the polls. Um, and we've also found that when we look not only at the gender of the candidate, but we also vary the, the role or the background that they come from, women candidates who take on a more stereotypically female role, if they come from civil society, they're more able to do well hmm. in all four of those countries than if they're sort of doubly disadvantaged by coming from a business background where they're seen as both um, incongruent, having the traits that are incongruent with both political leadership as well as business leadership. So we actually were, we were surprised at the extent to which we, we found um, the same sort of thing going on in all four of those countries, even though the extent of the bias does vary. Now, so you've written in the past about uh, about quotas, and you basically think that quotas are a good thing, that they really do help to get mm -hmm. these women into parliamentary or municipal mm -hmm. um, positions of power. When that happens, I mean, so tell me just a little bit about that. Does that then change, once they're in office, does that then change the way they're seen? Does mm -hmm. that change the kinds of perceptions that, you're just, that, that you found mm -hmm. previously? I, I think I'm one of, I may be in the minority uh, in terms of my personal conviction that, that quotas are important mm -hmm. in a number of different settings. Um, and in fact, we know from literature worldwide that when we have quotas, women are more likely to be elected. And we've, we've seen really a watershed in the, in the MENA region. It used to be at the bottom of the barrel in terms of having the lowest mm -hmm. formal representation of women in parliament. And over the past 10 years, because of the implementation of quotas across the region, it's now um, increased uh, substantially. You have 
places like Algeria that went from having very few women to having about a third um, uh, elected. I'm familiar with the arguments which suggest that, you know, for example, women can't represent women's interest in parliament when you're in an authoritarian regime where the parliament is weak. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, given that we observe such discrimination and in the MENA region countries, I think implementing quotas is, it with, even with all the problems that come with that, it's better than not implementing those quotas. I don't want to let you leave without uh, touching on what I think is actually one of your most interesting uh, research projects, which is a series of papers that you've written about the gender effects on interviews, that uh, you have a series of papers where you've actually looked at what difference it makes, the gender of the interviewer, mm -hmm. and how this might actually change or affect the, mm -hmm. uh, the survey findings. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is obviously something of great relevance, not just in the Middle East, but for public opinion work mm -hmm. in general. Could you just very, very quickly just kind of walk us through mm -hmm. what you found and why it's important? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've looked a little bit at how the observable characteristics of the interviewer impact the measurement of opinions in, in surveys that we use for our research, that we talk about in the media. Um, and this is a literature that ha that has been produced in other regions as well. Um, but what we find is because gender-related topics and topics related to religion are so salient and so contested in, in MENA region countries, the effect of the interviewer's traits on the, on the answers um, is actually quite substantial. It's so large that, that I've argued it's very important to mm -hmm. measure it and control for it. Um, so, so like if, uh, if you're answering questions from a woman, you'll project yourself as more sensitive to women's issues, or if you're being interviewed by someone wearing Islamic dress, you'll be more sensitive towards religious issues. Yes, yes. The gender of the interviewer affects the responses both directly. So female interviewers will elicit um, more gender, um, more supportive opinions of, of, of gender equality. But we also observe sort of evidence of power relations. So the more authoritative the interviewer appears, the more he, usually he, is able to get responses in surveys. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, with sort of additional work that I'm doing with Dr. Malouche on this topic, we found that actually the religious dress, the age, the gender of the interviewer, in interaction with all of these same uh, traits of respondents affects the answers that that we get. All right. Well, thanks. That's really fascinating. And um, thank you for joining us here on for the POMAPS conversation. Um, this has been the POMAPS conversation series, and uh, we've been joined by Lindsay Benstead of Portland State University, Rice University, and Gothenburg University. Lindsay, thanks for joining us. Thank you.